Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, Robert Raper, who is a chemical engineer in the energy industry. Robert, you've had over 25 years of experience in international engineering in the chemical, oil, gas, and renewable energy industry. You hold several patents that are related to the oil and gas energy industry. And you have a whole lot of experience in a lot of different areas, but I just Wanted to say welcome back to In the Wall Patch Radio Show, and I'm happy to be interviewing you today and catching up with you on some of the articles you've been writing for Forbes. So welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. Well, you know, I did mention a little bit of your work uh, and where you've been, but you've also, you're very accomplished in many ways. You've had a lot of media coverage, so I feel very honored that you've decided to join us on our show. You've been featured on uh, CNBC, the Business News Network, CBC, PBS, a lot of articles, uh, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, The Economist, and of course, where you are a senior contributor on Forbes uh, magazine as well, or Forbes.com. So we're glad to have you on the show. I look forward to talking to you about all things oil and gas. Since we're starting off the new year 2023, I want to go back and do some comparisons of what you thought last year versus what you're seeing this year too. So let's get started, shall we? Sure. I'm a man of little words. Sure. Um, so let's let's start talking about um, these big integrated oil and gas companies, Chevron and Shell. And I want to talk about both of them because they've both been in the media as of lately. Uh, in January, Chevron announced fourth quarters, fourth quarter um, and the 22, uh, 2022 results. Uh, they had earned a record. $36.5 billion profit in 2022. You wrote an article uh, recently in Forbes on this, but that was actually doubling more than 2021. Um, and so now it's time for them to look back, look at, okay, we've made this rocker, uh, you know, this profit, this huge profit. What are we going to do with it? And so let's talk about that. What, Give me an idea of what seems to be the problem with public perception. What is wrong with this capitalist company uh, figuring out what they want to do? They're billions of dollars in profit. Right. So the problem is a political problem. The problem is that when there are very high gasoline prices and record profits, people and, you know, the Biden administration think, well, why should why should your record profits come on the backs of consumers who are paying record high prices for gasoline? And it's just the nature of the markets. It's supply and demand. It's um, you know it's the reason we're paying you know extraordinarily high prices right now for chicken and eggs. I mean this, it's supply and demand. And so you know it's somebody said something to me yesterday. I said we just want a fair price for uh, for gasoline. But the person had just pre uh, gone into that by saying, you know, oil is a depleting resource, not going to be around forever. Uh, we just want a fair price. I said, well, what's a fair price for something that's not going to be around forever that allows you to get around? I mean, tell me what is a fair price? And she said, well, a fair price is something that doesn't enable these exorbitant profits. And I said, well, 
How would you envision that happening? Because Chevron sells their oil and gas in an open market where they're bidders and buyers and sellers. And sometimes they lose a lot of money. In 2020 with COVID, they lost a lot of money. Big, big oil lost $70 billion in 2020. And was nobody, nobody was complaining about that. Right. People <laughs> were happy. I mean, the gasoline was cheap and people were happy. And uh, and now, you know, it was predictable that with commodity prices skyrocketing last year, big oil, oil companies across the board were going to make a lot of money. That was absolutely predictable. Now, if you feel like they're making too much money, what are you going to do about it? Well, you can complain about it and say, uh, you know, Chevron said we're going to buy back $75 billion of our shares. And the, the Biden administration complained about that. And my response to that is, if a company can issue shares, they can say, here, you can buy part of our company. Why can't they buy them back? I mean, we don't we don't prevent a company like Twitter from going private. You know, we don't prevent Elon Musk from taking that company private. Why would we why would we tell Chevron how they can issue stock or buy it back? I mean, I, it makes no sense to me. Uh, if a company has excess cash and they feel like uh, our shares are undervalued relative to what we think our company's worth, then buying shares back is perfectly legitimate. Now, if you were doing that instead of investing in production, then and, that, and that's what the Biden administration insinuated, instead of you know raising production, they're enriching their executives and their rich shareholders. Well, the average shareholder for Chevron is not rich. The average shareholder is somebody that's got Chevron in a pension account. And they're the ones that are benefiting from this. And, and sure, their executives are benefiting from it as well. But uh, um, the, the other thing was, you know, they said they're, they're doing this instead of investing in production. Chevron invested a tremendous amount of capital last year, a lot more than the year before, and they grew production to record levels in the U.S. So I don't know what else you want other than to say, hey, you didn't invest enough. Well, the other thing is the Biden administration is trying to get us off of oil as fast as possible, and they think consuming oil is a bad thing. So you're telling Chevron, look, we're going to put all these incentives in place to transition people away from oil. And by the way, we think you should be investing more money into producing oil. Well, it, 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 they can't have it both ways. You know, they want their cake and eat it too. And um, it's it's hypocritical. And I pointed that out. That's That was the purpose of the articles to say, look, if you think we ought to be getting off oil, then you should celebrate high oil prices because it will help transition faster. And uh, you, know, you say we're, we're, we got too much uh, carbon going in the air, but now you're chastising Chevron for not producing more oil. What what is the problem here? You know, it's it's a disjointed uh, way of looking at energy policy. Well, and and so for everyone to understand, I think what you basically said in your article is that the Biden administration did want to increase the prices, but they can't exactly admit it to the American people because that would not go over well. But this Politically, is a lot. Right. I'm sure I'm sure they would like to have prices high, but politically, that's a no, that's a non-starter. Um, politically, this is why they drained the Strategic Petroleum Reserve last year. You don't drain right. the Strategic Petroleum Reserve like that unless you're trying to combat high prices. But high prices lead to conservation. It leads to people buying more fuel efficient vehicles. But politically, it also causes politicians to lose elections. So they're in this hypocritical right. position of saying, we need to use less oil while trying to make oil cheaper. Right. And, and I think that's the really important part is that 
These elected officials, and especially the Biden administration, from day one signing an executive order to kill the Keystone Pipeline, that was a major infrastructure pro uh, project that we needed. And the more that they overregulate or continue to um, go after big oil and gas, or even oil and gas through regulation, it's going to cause this. Uh, uh, where they're going to put less on the market, which is going to drive up the price, right? So this is by design, but it, at the same time, they're not being truthful to the American people of saying it, that, you know, uh, don't get upset because there's rock, uh, record profits. People are willing to pay more because there's less on the market because of the policies that you're putting out, period. Right. Um, I mean, if you want more oil and gas, don't cancel the Keystone Pipeline, you know? That's right. If, if, you, if, you're, if the point, and that's always my point was that, you know, it's fine to try to work to reduce oil consumption, but if you if you don't get there and you need the oil, you're going to have high prices. And, uh, you know, that's why the Keystone Pipeline would have been important. It would have helped a little bit alleviate the uh, the supply issue. I think there's just a lot of um, double talk, like you said, uh, and a lot of very disingenuous statements coming out of the administration, not leveling with the American people. And you just have to do your research, which is part of the reason why, Robert, you know, we do the show is to really cut through the BS that's really going on and come to the American people and tell them this is really what's happening. You, you know, you really only have the people to blame yourself in the way of if you elect people who do not have strong energy policy, then you can expect to pay more at the pump more at your grocery store. And of course, you're just gonna see less on the market, which is just gonna drive up the price. This is economics. Let's go back to the woman you mentioned that was asking that very important question about like, well, right. why are, you know, why is a Chevron, you know, making all this profits? And I wanna get into ExxonMobil too, in, in a little bit in the segment, uh, a little further in the show, but maybe if we took it from a standpoint of, you've got a mom and a dad and a family, and the family is being told what they can buy, how much they can spend, where do they go. It's very restrictive. No one's going to like that, right? Because we are Americans and we live in a free society. But, but in some ways, do we really, when our perception is that we should be telling a completely independent company that is created by design, the capitalist system to make a profit, to return the profits back to their shareholders and or buy back their own stocks. How, how is this possible that we've gotten to a point where people really think that this is a bad thing, but if you looked at it in a family unit and somebody's trying to control the family unit just like this, like this is bad, you need to go to this grocery store, you need to go over here and you need to buy gas over here, you need to do this, and you, it's over restrictive, nobody wants that. And yet, I think the American people have completely lost their ability to understand this is exactly the country that makes us a free society, is this exact thing. And we should be looking at it as such that the company did their due diligence and because of the policies and because of what's happening and the global issues, it's a complicated topic, but this is not a bad thing. This is actually what it should actually be if we wanna be strong and prosperous in America. Yeah, a Chevron knows how to run its business. They've run a, a tight company for a long time. They know how to run their business. They look at each individual project, and if they think a project will pay off, they will invest in that project. And if you've got projects that are going to take, you know, 10, 15 years to pay off, and at the same time, you've got the Biden administration saying, we're going to make sure we don't need any oil, why, why would you do that? 
Why would, why would you invest billions into a project that might not pay you back? Exactly. And this is the teachers' funds and the police officers' pensions and all these, you know, different, you think about it, if you have a pension, you have stocks and bonds, you want to return. This is a good company for you to be investing in. That's just the way it is. So when we get back from break, I want to get on to also, um, I want to talk about Shell too, because Shell was in the same position, just different. But it was right. a great thing. They had a great year too. And I want to explain, you know, a little bit more about how important the time that we're living in now to understand how important energy is. Because you made a statement a minute ago about how the Biden administration wants us to, to, to not use oil and gas in the future, in the near future, because of climate change. Uh, please explain to the listeners and me how that's even possible. And we still sustain life. But we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest is Robert Rapier, who is a chemical engineer in the energy industry for over 25 years and also is a senior contributor for Forbes. Robert, before the break, we were talking about Chevron and its record profits for 2022, $36.5 billion in profits for 2022. That is a great return for shareholders. Um, and they've decided to buy back some of their stock to the tune of $75 billion. Um, of a buyback. That was the announcement they made. Now, earlier in the piece before, you were talking about a woman who um, had this kind of pictured all wrong, that this was a really bad thing, that there's something wrong with capitalism. And and uh, maybe it's because it's just big oil. Um, and so I want to get back on that topic because I want you to explain, as a chemical engineer and been in the industry for over 25 years, is oil going away anytime soon in the name of climate change? Is it going to happen for the world or is it just the United States? Um, and, and tell us how this conversation went with the woman that you were trying to educate on. Mm, let me explain it a little differently to you. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that conversation with that okay. woman. Okay, so the way it ended up is she said, uh, you know, thank you. You always explain things clearly to me and I, I understand it. Because I said, I asked her, how would that functionally work? You've got all these people who want to buy gasoline and the price is telling you there's not enough for everybody. That's what the price is signaling. I mean, it's, it's supply and demand. So That's right. you want to pay less, but guess what's going to happen? If you pay less, if we said, okay, the oil companies cannot charge over this much. Now you're going to have shortages. Now you're going to have rationing because that's what's happening is the, the demand is being rationed by price. That's why price floats up and down. The price gets high and people cut back a little bit, but the price is signaling, hey, there's too much demand for the amount of supply that we have. And so I said, I asked her, I said, tell me a mechanism by which you pay a reasonable price for gasoline and Chevron doesn't make that much money. How would that work exactly? because it would upend the entire way the oil and gas industry is structured. You know, they, they produce oil, they sell it on a global market where people buy and sell uh, according to supply and demand. And I, I've used this analogy before. It would be like saying, you know, why does Apple charge $140 a share for their stock? Well, they're not charging that. That's what the market is setting the price at. Um, right. There's no reason tomorrow it might not be 70 or tomorrow it might not be 280. It all comes down to supply and demand. And 
um, if there's strong demand for Apple shares, the price is going to go up. And if there's not, the price is going to go down. And it's not Apple setting the price. And it's not Chevron setting the price for oil. It's the buyers and the sellers out there on the market that are setting those prices. And sometimes that rewards the oil companies tremendously. And one, one other thing I'd say about the profits, um, they pay a tremendous amount of taxes. So with those big profits, there are billions flowing into the coffers of the US and, and state governments. I mean, that they, they're paying a lot of taxes that enable a lot of the programs that, uh, and, and you know, there's just this perpetual war of words with the oil industry. It's like the oil industry employs, you know, millions of people and pays tremendous taxes into the federal budget. And we are, you know, the Biden administration constantly at war with them. I know it seems so crazy because like you mentioned earlier, Apple, Apple wouldn't be around either if it didn't have record profits and it wouldn't be as big as it is. But when you mention a big oil company, rather Chevron or Shell, that's a bad thing. And I think it has everything to do with, it's just a commodity that we use every single day. And Apple, it's a great product and a lot of people use it, but you're really not going to die if you don't use an Apple product, but you right. will probably not be able to survive very long without oil and gas and yet it's just it's crazy um yeah people do say that to me they say i can choose whether to buy an iphone but i can't choose whether to buy oil i said well no but you can choose how much you use i mean you can structure your life if you if it's really important to you that you don't help enrich chevron you can do everything you can to minimize the amount of oil and gas you use. I mean, you can get a very fuel efficient car and you can live close to work and you can get a bike. Turn your thermostat, you know, uh, up in the summer and down in the winter. There are lots of things you can do if you're set on doing it. And the problem is we want all our conveniences and we don't want them to cost, cost much money. Exactly. You can't have it both ways. Um, and by the way, that Apple phone could not be possible without <laughs> oil and gas as well. We couldn't be created. Um, let's switch gears and talk about ExxonMobil. They too uh, had record profits, $56 billion in 2022. And the White House didn't like that one either. <laughs> the White House pretty much was uh, pretty upset about uh, this you know, windfall for them. And here we go again with what is the problem with when you make and you restrict oil and gas off of, uh, you know, you've taken it out of the market and then you expect for the consumers to pay more, which they're, not going to, but these people are going to have to sell it to somebody and they're selling it for record profits. And a lot has to do with not just what's happening here, but it's also what's happening on the global picture. So can you put that in context for us? Like because of the global things that are happening, it's setting the price for crude and natural gas. Explain to us what that means. And I'm going to interrupt you though, because we've got one minute on this. So let's get started with it and then we'll come back from break on that. Okay, I mean, fundamentally, the whole world is, uh, is is consuming more oil. So you got these developing countries that are all increasing their oil demand, and you got China, which has been shut down off and on for a couple of years, that are really opening back up. And so you've got demand from China kicking up, and you've got uh, you know even in the West and in the EU, the, the the US, we've had pretty flat oil demand for a while, and we will probably have pretty flat to even maybe a little declining oil demand going forward. But globally, that's not the case. And global is, oil is a global commodity and, and globally the price is being set by demand right. from you know all over. Well, when we come back from break, I wanna really drill down because there's a lot going on in Europe. 
And of course, what happened with the invasion from Russia to Ukraine, and there's some restrictions that are coming online next week, how is that going to impact the prices as well? And does this continue to affect the Chevrons and the ExxonMobil with being able to fetch a higher penny you know, for their demand, what's in demand? And this is a commodity that we just, quite frankly, can't live without, not at this time. So let's take a quick break. We'll return. Uh, we'll get back on this topic you're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com slash business profile start dealing with a company you can trust and always find And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, who is an expert in the oil and gas industry for over 25 years, uh, is also a chemical engineer, uh, and is a senior contributor in Forbes. Robert, before the break, we, we, we touched on what's happening with Chevron and rocket, uh, record profits for them, as well as the announcement from ExxonMobil two great energy companies, powerhouses that are in their own transition, if you will, for energy transition. They're diversifying their portfolio um, in many ways and going greener, but still today, still to today, oil and gas is a huge revenue for them. And so, you know, before the break, we were talking about how global situations really are what demands their profits and what they can fetch for uh, that commodity. I want you to try to explain why is it that these other countries will pay higher prices to ExxonMobil and Chevron and other energy companies at a higher premium? Is it because they don't necessarily want to? It's because that's what the market is, is dictating. And there's less because of a lot of the elected officials globally that have come into a stance that they want to outregulate oil and gas. So how is this making sense to someone that's listening of like, wait a minute, how is this possible? And then what happens to Chevron and ExxonMobil with their profits? Because as we move forward, there's still less and the demand is still high. So, so right. what do you see happening? So let me tell you about a let me tell you a story about an epiphany I had when I was in India in 2008. I used to believe that as the price of oil got high, it would price the poor countries out of the market. And so it'd be a bidding war with the developed countries. That was what I thought. And when I drove around India, I actually saw at one point seven people on a motorbike, seven people. And wow. I looked at that and I thought, 
the price of oil divided among seven people there, they could afford to pay $150 a barrel because of what the difference it's making in their life. So, so they've gone from being on foot to paying, you know, pennies uh, between them to be able to drive on that on that motorbike. You know, now they can drive 20 miles. Now they can have a job that's farther away. And I realized when you're coming from basically no oil consumption, a little bit of oil consumption can make a tremendous, tremendous impact on your life. And we in the West, we could say, well, you know, we use 20 barrels of oil per person per year. And, and sure, we can cut back a little bit. But the difference in going from zero to one is, I mean, it's, it's life changing. And so oil, even expensive oil, and, that, and, and I went back and I tracked it. You know, when, the, when oil prices shot up to a, nearly $150 a barrel in 2008, the place that didn't consume less were the Indias and the Chinas of the world. They didn't consume less because their per capita consumption is still very, very small. It's just they've got a whole lot of people consuming. And so high oil prices don't affect them as much. Um, it's not like us where we have this really tremendous oil consumption. And so high prices are killing us and we can cut back a little bit. For them, you know, high oil prices, I, I'm still consuming a fraction of a barrel of oil, but now it has changed my life because now instead of living in the slum and, and being on foot, I can get a motorbike and I can commute 20 miles to a job and actually make more money. And so that was my epiphany. My epiphany is these poorer countries, these developing countries are going to drive demand for oil at much higher prices than we have now. And they're not going to be priced out of the market. They're going to drive prices higher just because you got so many people that are just demanding a little more oil. And because oil is a global commodity, that drives up the price everywhere. And so we're competing you know, our enormous consumption per person is competing with a thousand people who have just a little bit of consumption. And so who, it, the price just doesn't affect them as much. Well, we're going to go to break. When we come back, you also had a couple of articles that you released. Um, and it is the new year. The articles were making a comparison between 2022 and now it's 2023. So we're going to go back and we're going to check your predictions of 2022. Uh, were you right? Were you wrong? Where did you end up? And then also let's move into 2023 predictions of what's going to come. Uh, so, but we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Wolf Patch Radio Show. Don't go away. We'll be back with Robert Rapier's predictions for 2023. You're listening to in the Wolf Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, a chemical engineer in the energy industry for over 25 years. Robert, uh, oh, and a senior contributor for Forbes. 
uh, and a regular guest on Indie Wall Patch Radio Show. But Robert, let's move into, you know, we have a new year, 2023. There was a lot of upheaval in 2022 when we talk about energy, uh, the uh, Ukraine-Russia whole invasion going on. Um, but there's some trending things that maybe we should uh, talk about before we get into the predictions of, you know, what's happening in 2023. And I want to touch on some of the, the uh latest keywords, if you will, that, that are buzzing out there. And a lot of people are not familiar. They're, they've heard energy transition, but they're not familiar with like, what are the things that are coming to be very quickly that we need to be keeping an eye on? Everybody's buzzing about hydrogen, the different colors of hydrogen. Um, is What are some of the other energy sources that you see and you like or, or, or are problems that might be coming to diesel shortages? You know, what is the main things that you think that we need to be keeping an eye on that are going to start trending in the way of energy? So, you know, I, over the, if, in fact, if I jump all the way back to 2007, I wrote an article then and I said the future is solar. And I said over the next few decades, solar is going to ramp up exponentially and it is going to, uh, you know, have a significant impact on, on energy transition. And that is happening. I, I, in fact, I argued solar over wind. I said, we've got enough rooftop space on people's roofs to, to and, and, and businesses to power the entire country on solar power. Of course, you can't do that at night. So you've got to have battery breakthroughs. So batteries are going to be really, really important. And um, that's, you know, sort of holy grail is, is better and better battery storage. Um, you got wind power that's uh, also, I mean, we produce more wind power than we do solar power, but in the long run, um, people would rather have a solar panel, you know, on top of their house than a wind turbine in their backyard. And so I, I think in the long sure. run, <laughs> solar is going to grow and grow and grow. Um, and it's going to complement very well with uh, fast cycling natural gas plants because, uh, you know, if you suddenly you got a storm and solar output drops between batteries and solar and uh, natural gas plants that can fill that gap, those, those complement each other very well. The thing is, there's not, none of those displace oil. Um, electric vehicles will displace oil, but if I look at some of the countries like like Norway, Norway is, I mean, something like 60% of their cars now are, are electric vehicles and their oil demand is still high. Um, their, their oil demand has not been significantly impacted by this. And I, I wrote, wrote an article a couple of years ago about California, just looking at, you know, 50% of the cars, electric vehicles are being sold in California, but it wasn't having a notable impact on oil consumption. And my, my, my conclusion was not that it won't happen, but it's going to take longer than we think. And so people who think there's going to be a rapid phase out of oil and people who plan for a rapid phase out of oil are setting themselves up. And so when you got the Biden administration thinking, uh, you know, we're going to get off oil quickly. And so we don't need the Keystone pipeline and we don't need to permit, you know, these, these projects then you've got a problem because you didn't phase out of oil as fast as you thought you would because you know electric vehicles even even at 50 percent the turnover is still very slow and the penetration in the overall market is still low and it just takes a lot longer than you think and so 
always I've, I've said the biggest risk in the energy transition is that you shoot for lower fossil fuel consumption than you think you'll need and then when the time comes you need it and so prices skyrocket and then people complain because they're paying five dollars a gallon for gasoline and chevron's making record profits because you know we just didn't plan well enough um and and a lot of that is laws that we put into place that said you know we're going to push you in this direction and we're going to plan for this and um, well, if that doesn't happen, what's your backup plan? Well, your backup plan is uh, people are going to pay high prices and, and, and the energy companies are going to make a lot of money. Let me ask you about, um, we've had diesel shortages and Tesla seems to have gotten into a little bit of a problem situation with the Twitter. And now he seems to be having some problems with Tesla and the market share. What's happening with those two? Are we going to continue to see diesel shortage and Poor little Elon Musk going to continue to have problems with Tesla in the market. What do you see there? So uh, Tesla shares have gotten back on track this year after having you know a terrible year last year where they were down, I don't know, seventy percent or something. And a lot of that was you know the Twitter distraction and Musk was having to sell shares. And um, I expect Tesla to get back on track a little bit. The, but there's a fundamental problem here. The people who are more prone to buy a Tesla are the people that Elon Musk is alienating on Twitter. I mean, it's the woke people who, right. you know, would like to buy a, Twi a, a, a Tesla and Elon Musk has declared war on them. And so in the long run, that's a really, really bad way to manage your brand, to, to alienate the very people who would be your customers. You know, uh, MAGA Republicans are not nearly as likely to go out and buy a Tesla, and that's the that's the group he's kind of cozying up to. And so it, it's not good business strategy. Um, and and I, I wonder about Tesla in the long run, how bad this is going to impact it. I read many accounts from people who said, you know, I was shopping for a Tesla, but with, you know, all that's gone on with Elon and Twitter, I would never buy a Tesla now. And so... You also so it's have a popularity contest that we're in versus did you want to buy a Tesla to help uh, do your part in the name of climate change since you're woke? Well, there's it another part to there's another part to that, and that is that Ford and GM are coming with uh, electric vehicles that that compete That's with Tesla. Right. So if Elon Musk is the only game in town, then you know, like him or not, and you're going to get electric vehicle, you'd have to buy a Tesla. But now, now there are some options and. In the long run, that's going to be a threat to Tesla. I, I don't think Tesla uh, can remain the size of company it is. I think in the long run, uh, competition is going to um, significantly whittle down and, and even the playing field there. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not a. I, I, I've I've owned Tesla stock before periodically, uh, mainly as trade, short term, in and out. Um, it's not something I would invest in just because I, I think it's. I think the hype is too much. I don't think the fundamentals really support the kind of price that it trades at. And it's just too risky to me. It's too much of a cult of personality around one person uh, for, for me to invest in something like a, a Tesla. That's kind of true. So let's take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about energy prices a, a year back. Uh, let's look in the rearview mirror, 2022 pricing. And then uh, let's look at 2023 predictions. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. 
Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side -side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, who is a chemical engineer in the energy industry for over 25 years, and he's senior contributor with Forbes. Robert, one of the articles that you wrote in uh, recently in Forbes was uh, a, looking back a year, uh, 2022, the energy prices, and no doubt uh, 2022 was a volatile year for energy markets, period, from natural gas prices, gasoline prices, and diesel prices and many speculated we were running out of diesel or were asking that question so we had a, a a very turbulent 2022 when it came to energy markets tell me about your article because you did a great you graded yourself on on some predictions and so i explained to us how did you uh how did you do <laughs> so yeah a year ago uh, in january i'm sitting there looking at the market and i'm thinking okay here's what i think is going to happen i think we're going to increase oil production which we did and that's a prediction i made and i got it right we had the second highest oil production in history, and which is ironic given the, the, the war on oil and gas, that we actually had the second highest production ever, and we may set a new all-time high this year. We did set a new all-time high for natural gas production last year. And so my thinking at the time was, this will sort of moderate prices a little bit, the growth here. But then six weeks later, Russia invades Ukraine and upends everything. And so the, the oil prices spiked to the highest level since 2008. And of course, gas prices had to follow. Natural gas prices uh, skyrocketed because Russia's imports into, you know, Europe is very dependent on Russian gas and they are, you know, they didn't want to buy those anymore. And so we are trying to fill that gap. And at the same time, that causes supply dislocations in the US. So I thought natural gas prices would be lower last year, but natural gas prices skyrocketed. I thought oil prices would be pretty moderate and oil prices skyrocketed last year. Um, I, I did get correct the, the fact that oil production did increase, but the, the Russia's, you know, there's always something geopolitical lurking in, in oil and gas. And that was a big one. I mean, when one of the three largest oil producers in the world is engaged in something that substantially impacts the oil markets, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really rock the boat. And that's what happened last year. Now, we imported a lot from Russia and the Biden administration made a decision we're not going to do that anymore. That caused dislocations in the refineries. The refineries used Russian oil and Russian finished products a lot in the diesel market. So, so it helped produce diesel and supply diesel. And the loss of that created a shortage in the diesel market. And at the same time, we got gasoline prices going high and, and, and diesel prices are now going high. And we got shortages in the diesel market. And a refiner is sitting there going, well, what do I do? And I can shift a little bit of production to diesel, but then that's just going to make the gas price situation worse. So, um, you know, I talked to a refinery manager that I used to work for, and he said, yeah, we've really got our hands full here. We've got a, we've got a diesel shortage, and we've got gasoline prices high, and, and uh, you know, we're trying to decide what's the best course of action here. You know, that a, a refinery can shift, you know, maybe 5% back and forth from, from some gasoline into diesel and vice versa. But it's not a huge switch that they have. And, and that Russian 
invasion really caused a dislocation, caused my, my uh, commodity price predictions to be way off last year. Well, let's switch gears because we're coming up to the last of the show. Let's talk about your predictions for where is energy going? So the first one is, what are you, uh, uh, you know, take out your crystal ball, your prediction of WTI in 2023. Where are we going to be landing more or less for uh, price per barrel? So I think, you know, based on what things look like now, I think we go slightly higher. I predicted that prices will be a little higher than, uh, than they were to start the year. Um, not, not higher than they were last year. The, the average price last year was about $95 a barrel. I don't think we'll see that this year. That was because of significant dislocation. But, you know, we started the year about 70, I think $79 a barrel. I think the average will be higher than that because I think we will continue to see, you know, global demand increase and production will ramp up in the U.S. But um, I, I think it's going to have a hard time, especially two, two, two drivers here. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is depleted. And it needs to be refilled. And I don't know if we'll do that or not, but then China is also starting back up. And those two things are very bullish for, for oil prices. So your prediction though was $83 to $88. Are you still comfortable with that amount? I, I think that's reasonable um, given the, the demand, the supply demand situation. I mean, you know, Saudi Arabia could come in tomorrow and say, hey, we're going to cut oil production by 10% and just throw that completely out the window. But right now that looks like a... a Maybe a reasonably aggressive prediction, but because um, uh, the spot prices look like oil will, will be down in later part of the year. And I think it'll be up just because of China starting back up. And, you know, the Biden administration does not want to pay market prices to fill the strategic petroleum reserve. Now we're sitting with a depleted strategic petroleum reserve and any uh, any drop in prices, they're going to potentially fill that. And so that's that's bullish. You know, that'll that'll help put a uh, floor under oil prices. Well, if anything, you know, and just full disclosure, anything can happen, especially in a, we live in a global world, and this is the number one commodity that everybody needs to live off of. So it can change if there's something that's changing, but if everything stays the same, it might be somewhere in that range. Let's talk about U.S. productions. What will we see here in the U.S., do you think, for 2023? Um, where are we going to go with production? So we've got a reasonable chance to set a new all-time record. Um, we The trends have been up until about August of last year, and we've kind of been flat since then, but it would only require another couple hundred thousand barrels a day over where we are right now, uh, sustained through the year to set a new all-time production high. So I'm predicting we do get there, but honestly, it's a coin flip. It's going to be close, but but we'll be very close to setting a new all-time production high, either on the high, either above or below. It'll, it'll be close. And this is on oil production. So yes, let's oil. switch gears and talk about natural gas. Where do you natural think- Natural gas will set that? another production record this year. Um, you know, natural gas prices um, will be down this year because, you know, we're caught up a little bit and we've, we're getting natural gas into Europe, but demand is still going to be high. Um, I, I think we will still see a production record this year, but prices will, we will get some relief on prices relative to last year. And you did, your last prediction was that you see for the first time in three years, the energy sector will not be the top performer in S&P 500 sector. Why? Because uh, energy prices are going to moderate a little bit. I mean, we, you know, Chevron is trading right now at uh, basically where it was when oil prices ran up to $120. And so we've, we've corrected down on the price, but the share price of these stocks hasn't corrected. I mean, Chevron, I seriously doubt is going to have the same kind of year this year that it had last year. And just as kind of support for that, I've looked and over the past, uh, I think I looked over the past quarter, 
energy is the seventh best performing sector out of 11 S&P 500 sectors. So that's already saying it's already starting to lag a bit. Yeah. Give us, um, we're closing the show. If somebody wants to reach you or get information, where do they go to reach you? So I tell people, Google Robert Rapier Forbes, if you want to find my Forbes articles, my latest Forbes articles, but I also write several investing uh, publications for Investing Daily. And these cover, you know, all, all sectors, but I've got one called Utility Forecaster, where we focus on not just utilities, but income stocks. So we've got master limited partnerships, pipelines, so forth. And, you know, we've got more than 20,000 subscribers there. Um, and, and I do make specific buy-sell recommendations on stocks. I've got a covered call newsletter called Income Accelerator, where we're making specific uh, recommendations there. We, we trounced the S&P 500 last year in performance. And then uh, I've got another one called Income Forecaster that's focused on high yield, sustainable high yield stocks. Um, you know, that you can get uh, uh, yields of seven and a half percent and maybe lock those in for a long period of time. And, uh, you know, good, good for income investors. Excellent. Robert, thank you for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back here as you're somewhat of a regular expert on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.